I think we can go home. That's way better than what I'm going to say. Listen, we've been in a series right now called How to Win Within, and you just saw displayed before you how to win within. That's what it looks like. Man, thanks for sharing your joy with us this morning. What a great, great thing. I don't even know where to start. Um, so my wife and I, uh, years ago, when we first got married, I, we were living, I was living in a house that I had bought by myself when I first started working here full time. And so when we got married, she moved into the house and we did some remodeling to this little home and it was nice for a time. And then we had Eli, our firstborn, we decided it was time for a bigger uh, house. We had one bathroom and uh, his toys in the bathroom was kind of cramping our style. So we decided we had to find something else. So we started looking around at all kinds of houses in Lexington and my wife is a real estate agent. And so we had access to all the MLS, all the information we could possibly want on every house we could possibly find. And so we were searching. And if you ever look for a house, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You gather all the information. You choose maybe 10, 12 houses you want to go see because these all look good. And sure enough, that's what we did. We gathered all these houses we wanted to go look at. And we drove around to each and every one. But as soon as you opened the door and you walked in, how many know that you can't communicate what cat urine smells like through a picture on MLS? <laughs> you know, you walk in, you're like, wow, this looked good, but we're out. You know, it's... It's, uh, you, can, you can gather so much grease in a kitchen before it actually shows up in a picture when you put it on uh, a website for someone to look at. Um, you can only, uh, you have to like walk into a house to see that a floor is slanted because you can take pictures that look perfect for a house on the inside. There's something different when you're looking for a house from what you see in the pictures to oftentimes when you actually show up to the home, the inside looks a little different from the outside. Am I right? And this happens uh, within real estate for sure, but the truth is, this happens in our life too. You know, in this series, How to Win Within, we've been talking about how oftentimes in the world that we live in right now, we feel so much pressure to present ourselves on the outside, maybe different from what it looks like truly on the inside. In our social media culture especially, it becomes even more important to exude confidence and contentment and wholeness with whatever picture we choose to put out there. So people look at it and think, man, they've got it all together when the truth might be actually far from what is being shown in the pictures around us. But there's so much pressure to feel like we have everything put together while on the inside, if we're honest, some of us are deeply broken, but we feel like we have to keep it together. You know, in 2019, it was an interesting year for, I think, a lot of people. Um, if you're like me, you kind of limped to the end to get to, to 2020. I look back on 2019 and there was something that was very jarring to me. And one of the things that was most jarring to me was there were individuals who served within the church, uh, pastors and folks in ministry in this past year, many of whom lives were cut short due to substance or suicide. And a lot of them who serve in churches around this country, uh, their lives looked nice and polished on the outside, but on the inside, the truth was it was dark and defeated. And I think why it was so rattling to me was because those are me. Those people are me and they're you. Because we do it every single day. We walk around and it's so tragic because on the outside we try to display like everything is fine and perfect. On a Sunday morning, how many people have you walked by this morning and said, how are you? And everyone says what? Good, fine, wonderful. But if we're honest and we took the time, we might find out the story is actually very different from what we say in passing. And so I, maybe like you, I feel so much pressure. Even though maybe sometimes I don't win within, I feel the pressure to pretend like I am. Because I'm a husband, and I'm a dad, and I have a career, and I'm a pastor for goodness sake. So I gotta at least look like I have everything together. And the truth is, sometimes I don't. 
Can we just collectively this morning, before we really begin, just kind of all say together, life is hard. Life is heavy. Thank you. <laughs> life is heavy. There are things that happen that are hard to deal with. And I'm having a hard time keeping up sometimes. And if the truth is, no matter what I look like on the outside, on the inside, sometimes I'm a wreck. And I would imagine I'm not the only person in the room who feels that way. And for the next week after today, we're going to continue to wrestle with some of the big questions and I think issues that oftentimes the church kind of steers away from. And I think we should not at all. I think this should be a conversation that should happen within the four walls of the church. Because I don't believe God is just some idea, some cute thing to talk about. I believe that God is something that holds the power to transform us from the inside out. So particularly when it comes to uh, questions of anxiety or depression, some of the deep wrestlings that happen within us, this is the very place where this should be discussed. It should be talked out and it should be worked out. Because we live in a, uh, in a world, and particularly in a country right now, that is more medicated than ever. But we're more unhappy than ever. We're more connected than we've ever been, but we're actually more lonely than we've ever been. There are more people today that are walking around struggling with anxiety and deep depression, whether you're a youth or you're an adult. And there are many people today who walk around riddled with shame and guilt because of past things within their life. Things they've chosen to do and things that have happened to them. And I would argue this morning that the underlying cause for all of these issues is not something external. It's actually something internal. It actually starts here before it ever starts out here. And this is not a new idea. In fact, in the Old Testament, this was talked about a lot. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 4, verse 23, probably a verse you've heard before, the writer says this, Guard your heart above all else, for it's the wellspring of life. Guard your what? heart. Guard your heart above all else, for it's the wellspring of life. Now, oftentimes when we think about the word heart, what do we think of? We think of an organ that pumps blood through our body, keeps us alive, keeps us moving, right? Or we think of some kind of like, um, you know, graphic that we use to express the kind of love and care we have for one another during Valentine's Day. But if you were a Hebrew at this point in time when this was written, this was not what you thought about when you heard the heart, the word heart. This is the Hebrew word lev. Everyone say lev. The Hebrew people believed the heart was the very core and center of every human being. So all of your beliefs, all of your thoughts, all of your actions originate right here in the heart. And so when the writer says, guard your heart above all else, for it's the wellspring of life, the writer is saying this, all of your life flows from within. All of your life flows from your heart, so be careful to guard it. Be careful what you allow in. Be careful the things that you listen to. Be careful the things that you watch. Be careful what emotions you leave unchecked. Be careful the pain that is left unhealed because all of these things have a way to getting to our hearts. And if they get to our hearts, sometimes they can cause us and keep us from winning within. And we will never win externally within our families, our workplace, our relationships, our classrooms, our marriages, our communities. We will never win externally until first we win internally, until we first win within our hearts. Last week, we said one of the reasons that we don't win within is because oftentimes we don't believe what's true. We believe false narratives about ourselves, about God, about our circumstances, and it causes us to stumble every time. This morning, I want to talk about one of the reasons that we don't win within is because, if we're honest, life is overwhelming. 
One of the reasons we don't win within is because life overwhelms us. As I've served in this church now for 14 years, there's a common denominator that I see in almost every person that I come across from time to time, and it's this. We are overwhelmed. We are anxious. We are sad. We are depressed. And oftentimes we are heavy. And maybe even this morning, as I say each and every one of these words, you're like, yes, yes, yes. But I feel like I have to keep it together. I feel like I have to hold it all tight. You see, one of the reasons I think that we find ourselves in this kind of way, overwhelmed by life, is because sometimes we have a tendency to overcommit. The other day I was uh, spending time with someone and I was looking at their calendar as we were having a conversation. Their calendar looked like a pin had exploded all over it. There was stuff everywhere. We have a tendency as human beings to book every single second of every single day. And oftentimes because we believe to be busy is a good thing. To be busy keeps me from thinking from, about something else. Being busy means that I'm accomplishing something. And so we fill it up from front to back and we leave no margin for the life that God wants us to live. And so oftentimes we find ourselves overwhelmed because every one of us, we're given the same 24 hours to steward and to steward well. But I'm the first one in line to say that too often I have no idea what to say yes to because I say yes to everything. And I have no idea what to say no to because I say no to nothing. So one of the reasons we don't win within is because oftentimes we are overwhelmed by life because we overcommit ourselves. Another reason that we're overwhelmed by life is because if we're honest, life is hard. Life is difficult because people get sick. We experience tragedy. We go through a loss of someone that we love, a loss of hope or a loss of dreams. And a lot of times we have this desire and this will that we have for our life. But if we're honest, it doesn't align with the way our life has actually turned out. And these expectations often are not met and it's overwhelming to us. Sometimes we're overwhelmed because we're in a relationship of some kind, a friendship, a marriage with our children and relationships. How many know in the room that they take two people to be involved in? Because we all have our own wills and our own desires. And oftentimes those wills and desires do not align. We are in a covenant to one another within a relationship. I agree to do this on my side. You agree to do this on this side. And when someone within the relationship that you reside within is unwilling to do their part, that can be overwhelming. Lastly, but not exhaustively, one of the reasons we find ourselves overwhelmed with life is we have a tendency to never be satisfied. We have a culture of excess, do we not? More and more and more. And what it does to us, oftentimes we find our bank accounts constantly drained, our credit cards constantly maxed out, and our attics full of stuff that we haven't seen in years. This is how we choose to live our life. And so oftentimes this is overwhelming to us. We expect these things to fulfill us in some kind of way, but when we get them, we find they don't do it. And so the homes on the lake, the brand new cars, the fresh outfits, the latest technology, all of these things, a lot of us, we are drowning in the worldly desires and it's causing our hearts to be overwhelmed. And I could go on and on and on for all the different ways and different reasons that we find ourselves overwhelmed by life. But I've found this. God has been good to us because he's given us a help in the natural For some of us, one of the most spiritual things we could possibly do is go sit down with a counselor to speak to someone about coping mechanisms and ways to navigate this heaviness of life. Or maybe to sit down with someone and say, here's a prescription that could potentially help you. We have help in the natural. 
But I want to go a step further this morning and remind you that we don't just have help in the natural, we have hope in the supernatural. When those two things come together, I believe we have a great chance to experience a life and a life to the full that Jesus wants for all of us that he says in John 10.10. 10. The evil one comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come for life, that you might have life to the full. So is there hard work that some of us need to do this morning to potentially experience a win within our life? Maybe. But can we put our hope and our trust in Jesus, that he will do a work within us that we can't do ourselves? Absolutely. 100%. So there's a very famous passage of scripture that deals with anxiety and this wrestling that we've been talking about in this series. And it comes from Philippians chapter 4. More than likely you've heard this verse before. I want to look at the very first few words. Philippians chapter 4 verse 6 says this. Do not be anxious about anything. Easy for you to say, Paul. Do, do not be anxious about anything, Paul says. Now, my question is, why does he write this? For anyone reading this, I'm sure they would be like, okay, Paul, maybe you don't even gone through what I've gone through. You have no idea. Maybe for us today, even like, Paul, you, you lived a long time ago. You have no idea what it's like to live in 2020 and not have anxiety. Okay, Paul, you have no idea. But Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. And to understand this, you have to understand the culture that he's writing to. In the book of Philippians, he's writing to a group of people who live in Philippi, this early church that had been started there. And by the time Paul shows up in 49 AD, this city had already been traded back and forth between nations for a very, very long, brutal history. Gone from this nation to that nation. Every time it turned over, the city was destroyed and it was rebuilt over and over and over again. Not only that, but it was filled with Greeks and Romans and people from all over the Middle Eastern world. And so in doing so, there was religions of all kinds that existed all in Philippi. You had the imperial worship of this cult worship of Caesar himself as God. You had Greek gods. You had Roman gods throughout the city. You had Egyptian gods within the city that people worshiped as well. And so in every corner of the city of Philippi, you would find a statue, a temple, a shrine of some kind where these people would go and worship these vastly different gods of all kinds. You had gods of fertility, gods of agriculture, gods of desire and attraction, gods of sea, gods of air, and I could go on and on and on. And so if you're a person who lives in Philippi, more than likely this is an anxious place to live. Because when it comes to ancient Near Eastern practices, if you were someone who was religious in any kind of way, your job was through sacrifice and devotion to make sure you kept every single God happy. My family wants to have a baby. We better make sure the God of fertility is happy so this could happen for us. We need food in our community. We gotta make sure the God of agriculture is happy and make sure everything is good for that God and this God and that God and all of these gods. Every part of our life is represented by one of them and we worship at the feet of these gods to make sure they are appeased. So life can be at peace and life can be good. So this is the backdrop to where Paul writes, do not be anxious about anything. Here's the truth. If you're someone who lives in Philippi, there are just too many gods to keep happy. It's exhausting. It would make any person anxious. Is this God upset with me now? Is this God appeased now? And this is the people who lived in this area. You know, recently I sat down with a high school girl in our program because she recently began to have panic attacks because she was so stressed out about getting certain grades in high school so she could make it into the school of her choice. So all of her free time was spent trying to make sure that she could make her status a little bit higher to increase her chances of getting to the school that she wanted to go to. 
I sat down with a dad not long ago who's working 70 plus hours a week to provide for his family, but is increasingly getting more and more guilt ridden because he's not spending time with his family. It's catch 22. Which one do you do? I sat with a mom the other day who confessed that she spends so much time on social media, watching everyone else's perfect life around her and realizing that my life doesn't quite line up with those. Their living room, that picture was so beautiful. Mine's a wreck. Their children wear these beautiful clothing. My children barely have clothes on. And it causes a deep anxiety within each and every one of them. Whether you are a high school girl trying to make the grade, you're a dad trying to make the family happy and spend time with them, or you're a mom trying to measure up, this can be anxiety ridden. And what happens is we don't win within because life is overwhelming because we too are trying so hard to appease the gods to make all of them happy. They're different gods. We call them by different names, but the same thing is true. Our energy, our attention, our affection goes to the God of popularity, the God of wealth, the God of substance, the God of power, the God of success. So all of our free time goes to these things. And I'll be honest with you, it is exhausting. It's exhausting. And we can't keep up. So here's what I would conclude. Our problems are not our problems. Whatever it is, your problem is not your problem. Paul seems to suggest your problem is the way you deal with your problem. Because we all have issues, do we not? All of us. Little group counseling session. We all have problems. It may look a little different from one another, but we've all got things that we're anxious about. All got things that get us down. Paul says this, do not be anxious about anything. He's about to give us a whole new way of living as a follower of Jesus. Different from the way the world works around us. Different from the way those who live in Philippi live. Different from the ways those around us who do not follow Jesus in Lexington. We live differently. And Paul says this. In our workplace, in our schools, in our communities. Paul says this in chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God will transcend all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So Paul says, don't be anxious about anything, but instead, bring everything to God. All of it. And the first way that we stop being anxious within our hearts, we have to stop believing that catering to all these different lesser gods will actually improve our life. Because it won't. No matter how much energy and time goes to these things, it will still fail for us because they're all fickle. Because money can't buy happiness. Relationships don't last. No one will care what superlative you had when you were a senior in high school and you had that nice smile. And whatever high you can come up with in the world, you still have to come down from. And so there is nothing that we can give our energy and our time and our affection to, no matter what God it is that we might bow to, that'll never make our life full of peace the kind of peace that God is talking about. So Paul says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, but in everything, bring it to God in prayer and petition with thanksgiving in your heart. Here's what Paul is saying. There is one God, the true God, who supersedes every other God you could possibly come up with. No matter which one it is, no matter what it promises, this God is better. This God is greater because he's in control of all of the things. 
You don't have to go to this God for this one thing or this God for this other thing and this one for this other thing. This God is over them all. And so bring to him the concerns of your life. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, bring it to him in prayer and petition. And I love what Paul says. He chooses his words very particular. Do not be anxious about what? Anything, but in everything. Everything. So Paul's not just saying the big things of life. I know some folks, and certainly in my own life too, I'm like, I don't want to pray about that. That just seems so minute, so mundane. God doesn't, he's got plenty to deal with. Uh, He doesn't need this on his plate, as if God gets overwhelmed. Or some of us were like, listen, this thing is so big. I, I can't imagine God doing something about this. Certainly I can't bring this to him. Paul says, no, no, no. Bring everything to God by prayer and petition. Let down the anxiety, no matter what it's over, small or big, and present it to God. I was in seventh grade when I first started to learn for the very first time that God cared about everything. Everything that was happening within my life, whether it was big, whether it was little. My dad and I had gone fishing when I was in seventh grade in East Texas. We lived there for a while, and so we were fishing on this pond not far from our house. My mom had told us, you can go fishing, that's fine, but be home by dark because food's gonna be on the table. And this was before cell phones, so you can, might can tell where the story's going. So pre-cell phones, we couldn't communicate everything. We're fishing. You gotta be home by dark. So we're out there fishing, having a great time. And if you're with Trevor Miller and Phil Miller, we're not probably getting home the time we're supposed to be home. So we're fishing, we're catching fish, we can't stop. Finally, the sun starts to go down and it says time to go home. So we drove the boat over to where the truck was and put it right up on the shore. And I got out of the boat first and my dad got out of the boat second. And as he got out of the boat, his legs swung over the side of the boat and the keys to the truck flew out of his pocket right into the water. Three feet of East Texas dirty, muddy water, right to the bottom. And so he's like, we're in trouble. I'm like, yes, we, no, you are in trouble. Mom is gonna be super mad that this happened. And so he's like, you gotta help me start searching. So we're, we're in the water looking everywhere we can for the keys to the truck, because it's locked and we're not going anywhere. Searching, searching. Sun is going down, it's getting uh, more and more heated. We know mom's not gonna be happy about this. Searching, searching. So finally, as the mature seventh grade boy that I am, I decided I was done. So I got out of the water and I went and sat on the shore. I'm like, Dad, you got to find the keys. Now, he's a little upset because I should be in the water searching with him, but I'd kind of given up at that point in time. So finally, he said, listen, if you're going to sit there on the shore, would you at least just pray that God will help us find these keys? So I did. So as a mature seventh grade boy, I had the probably most sarcastic prayer I've ever prayed in my whole life. I'm like, well, God, dad got us back to a little bit late to the shore. Then he kicked the keys into the water. So God, if you can help us find these keys so mom doesn't kill us, that'd be wonderful. And as I'm praying, my dad is searching, searching, searching. And as I'm praying, all of a sudden he comes out of the water one last time with his hands. And when he does, his hands come out like this and the key falls right on his finger, the keychain. And we're both like, no way. And so mom's not gonna, and she's still gonna kill us, but it's a great story that we can tell her when we get back, not a big deal. And I remember as a seventh grade boy, As a seventh grade boy, for the very first time, I had this conclusion that God cared about everything with my life. I could bring to him anything. And so I know within scripture, I see all the time where people, God's like, test me, bring it to me. Give me the concerns of your life. Give me the anxiety within your life. Hand it over to me. And here's what I've found the older that I've lived now, the longer that I've lived. Just in the past two weeks, we have prayed as a church for an individual within our church who had a serious medical condition. Went in for that surgery. I went and prayed with him that morning. The surgeons could not go in and do anything because his body had healed itself. And the doctor said, this is a miracle. We can't explain it. I was like, I can explain it. God is good. 
So we can bring to him anything, the small, minute, meaningless things within our life, but at the same time, the things that are huge and massive and things that we cannot take care of ourselves, we bring those to God as well. Both of these is what Paul is saying needs to be brought to God. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, bring it by prayer and petition to God. I'm confident about this. God cares about every aspect of our life. You know, Matthew 6 tells us this, that his eye is on the birds of the air, and that he clothes the lilies of the field himself. It says this in Luke 12, that God knows every hair on our head or the lack thereof this morning. God knows all of them. He knows us inside and out. This is a God who cares about us. So whether it's small or it's large, mundane or major, you bring it to God and you place it before his feet. If you are anxious today, bring it to God. Whether it's big or whether it's small, bring it to God. And then Paul says this, when you bring these things to God, do so with thanksgiving in your heart. Do it with thanksgiving in your heart. Now this shifts everything for us because oftentimes when I find myself anxious, it's because I am so focused on all the things that I do not have. All the things that have not happened within my life that I expected to happen. This anxiety manifests itself then in this kind of way. My focus though, if I can move it away from what I don't have and begin to see what I do have, I might find my life begin to change. There's this great quote that I found this week that says this, there is a calmness to a life lived in gratitude, a quiet joy. There's a life that is lived in gratitude that expresses calmness. It's a quiet joy. If I were to slow my life down enough, the worries of my heart, heart, my anxiety, my angst, if I could shift my attention away from what I don't have to what I do have and be grateful, how would that change things for me? If I could focus on the family that I get to go home to at night, if I could focus on the beautiful sunset, the meal that I'm about to eat, the text my friend sent me today, the air in my lungs, the rain on my head, if I could respond in gratitude, it might just change the kind of anxiety and struggle that I face each and every day. We read earlier in a great prayer, the Lord's Prayer, there's this one line that says this, give us this day our daily bread. It does not read, Give us this day the bread we need for the next month. Give us this bread that we need for the rest of our life. But instead it says, give us today the bread that we need today. Give us enough and we'll be grateful. Give us enough and we'll be grateful. Because if you give us too much, God, we might find ourselves not needing you anymore. And if you give us too little, we might find ourselves losing hope that you can work within our life. So give us enough for today. Give us this day our daily bread. So Paul ends by saying this, do not be anxious about anything. Bring it by prayer and petition with thanksgiving in your hearts. Bring it to God. And if you do this, there's a result that will take place. And the result is this, a peace that passes all understanding. There have been people that I've come across within my life who could have so much anxiety, so much uh, sadness, a kind of depression within their life, who do not, and here's why. They have a peace that just washes over them. A peace that the world will never understand. And this peace comes directly from God. 
Now this peace, I believe, one of the reasons we, un- we misunderstand what this might mean is because we misunderstand what peace looks like. You see, peace is not the absence of conflict. Peace is the presence of God in the midst of the conflict. A lot of us, we're like, God, we will have peace if this and this and this, these things are taken care of, God. And God says, no, no, you can experience peace right there in the middle of it. Jesus expresses this for us in Luke chapter 5, verse 15 and 16, in a really beautiful way. It says this, Yet the news about what Jesus had been doing had spread all the more, so the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. Look at the next word. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places to pray. Here's what I've learned in my life. There will always be crowds. There will always be expectations. There will always be something that someone needs from you, a peace that they want of you. But if Jesus, in the midst of all that was happening around him, had to pull away to spend time in prayer, shouldn't we? Shouldn't we slow our, our lives down enough to bring to God anything that we find giving us anxious thoughts? Shouldn't we bring to God anything that is big or small and allow him to take control? Because all these other gods that we've been trying to appease, they never work. But this one God, he's already happy with us. He already loves us. So bring to him all the things within our life. You see, peace is inviting God into your life right there in the midst of the chaos. Right there in the midst of all that you're going through. Here's the truth. For some of us, the anxiety that we feel may never fully go away. You you don't pray for it to be removed. You pray through it, right in the middle of it, believing and trusting that God is with you every step of the way. There's a story about this great artist who kind of put the word out worldwide. We want you to make a painting, express to us what peace looks like. And so paintings came from all over the world to this symposium as people gathered around to see what would come of requesting peace in an art form. And so sure enough, as they went through each and every piece that had been made, people were clapping and applauding, seeing what peace looked like before them on the stage. And there were two left and tensions were rising to see what these two would show. So the first judge walks up and pulls the cover off of that particular painting. And right before everyone, they see a beautiful pond, serene, pristine, a grassy meadow right behind it, full of sheep that were undisturbed, just eating and grazing, beautiful trees behind there, a wonderful sun up in the sky. And every person begins to clap as they look. Surely this is what peace looks like. But then the guy who started the whole thing, the woman with the vision, walked up on stage and pulled the cover off the very last painting to which everyone gasped. Because this painting was a picture of a tumultuous waterfall. Massive amounts of water cascading down rocks and crashing at the very bottom. And the sky was full of dark clouds waiting to thunder and lightning right there and begin to pour down rain. But in the picture on the rocks up near the waterfall, there was one spindly little tree with its roots in the rocks beginning to grow out in front of the waterfall. And in that one tree was a small nest with a little bird, eyes closed, sitting on some eggs. To which everyone knew this, this is what peace looks like. Peace doesn't mean your life just falls into place perfectly. Peace means whatever you're experiencing right here and right now, you can be confident that God is taking care of you.
that God has you in his hands. Peace is not the absence of conflict, not less stuff happening around us. It is the very presence of God right in the middle of the chaos, right in the middle of the difficulty, right in the middle of the struggle. After all, when Jesus came to the earth to spend time with us, guess where he came? A dirty, stinky stable, right in the middle of the mess of this world. So I wanna encourage you this morning. If you find yourself wrestling to win within, within your hearts, you're in good company. We all find ourselves there. But if you can begin to put the anxiety down, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, bring it to God, trusting that he is in control. We can experience peace, a real peace that the world will never understand. Would you pray with me? Father God, we come to you this morning. And God, I'm first in line to admit that too often I find in my life, God, worries that weigh me down, uh, issues that are hard to deal with, some things I can't even explain. But God, I know this, that you are not somewhere far off, uninterested in what's happening within my life, but you are right here close. And you've demonstrated for us the love you have for us by sending your son to die on a cross. God, I pray that every person here this morning would experience a peace that passes all understanding because we would be committed, God, to instead of being anxious, we would take whatever it is within our life and we would give it to you. Big or small, we would give it to you. Trusting you, God, the one who has the power to transform our lives. So we're thankful this morning that we have a friend in Jesus who cares for us, who loves us, who's gone to great lengths to express to us his great love. So God, even today, would you do a work within our lives? Would you do something in us internally that we might experience victory externally in everything that we encounter this week? It's in your name that we pray. Amen.